Uh, Big Dog. What's up? I recently uh, saw a video about this thing called mind melding. Mm-hmm. And I thought it might be a good way to try to get us uh, simpatico before we start the podcast. So I thought we'd give it a shot, see how it goes. Okay. You know, if it, if it fails, it fails. But if not, I feel like it will take us to heights we never even imagined possible. Okay. So mind melding, essentially, are you f- are familiar or do you need me to explain? I mean, you can explain for the audience. I mean, I know what it is. Okay, well, so so basically on the count of three, I'm going to say a word, you're going to say a word. Whatever word that we can, you know, whatever word pops into our head, we're going to say at the same time. Once we say those words, we will then mull those words over for like three to five seconds. Then we'll count again, and we need to find a way to connect those two words that we just said into one word. So we're going to keep going until we say the same word. Okay, so what if we get on the first try, though? Then we are fucking <laughs> locked in, twin. We're locked in, twin. All right, all right. All right, so okay, all right, okay. Are you ready? Okay. <clears throat> Three, two, one. Hat. Milk. Milk hat. Milk hat? Uh, three, two, one. Man. Always sunny in Philadelphia. What? I said man. What'd you say? I said man. Man? Yes. You go too simple, and I, I think I go too broad. Yes. Way right, too okay. broad. Like, yeah. I mean, man? like. Yeah, I said hat. You said milk. I thought we was gonna go. Oh, okay. Up, uh, um, a man, a milkman. He wears a hat. I, that's what. I, that's what I figured. That's what we're gonna go with. But you, uh, <laughs> I go like that makes sense. But you go. You talk about a damn t- always sunny for. That's not it even. That was out. There was no, in any realm of possibility. Well, I was milk. Gonna say that. M- milk. Well, milk hat was crazy. So I, no. didn't, <laughs> you know, like I didn't think, and I, but also my brain didn't go milk hat milk man. Yes. Because what do milk and hat have to do with man? You're saying, oh, a man milk wears hat, a hat and milk, milk hat, man. Milk, 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 and a hat, milk man. Yes. Okay. All right. Okay. We'll try again. We'll try again. We'll try again. Okay. All right. uh, three. Well, yeah, give me two, a second. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Three, two, one. Dog. Phone. Dog phone? Yes. <laughs> okay. Three, two, one. Vet. vet. Boom. Yeah. That's let's how go. We do it. Let's go. I like it. That's I where like my it. brain goes. That's that like is. I like it. There we go. Okay, this is about to be the best podcast ever. Let's get into it. Okay, I'm, I'm, yeah, no, we did that. No, we did that. Vet. Yeah, big dogs in the house. Is let's let's start the show, man. Yeah, obvious. We got a problem here, and it's more than just obvious. Dream and punisher. When life begins to suck, who's reporting it? Luckily, you got two friends who you won't forget. Coming live, Alvin and friend on survival. Nothing nonstop. Case drops on a cycle. Louder than intrusive thoughts off an iPhone. How they make the world seem bright with the lights off? AFs, it might as well stay up. Lies being told like that dinosaur BS. Magnifying glass to the ground if they don't see us. Having the time, roasting your favorite pizza. Bougie ain't an option, it's the way. Take it to the grave, have moving to the place. You already know when they take the case. Laugh the pain away, it's affirmative. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Affirmative Murder since coming back from Crime Con. I am yeah. Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner in true crime, Francel Evans. What's going on, boss man? Oh wait, oh my god, oh my god, I'm sorry. Where's it's been so long. It's been it's been so long. Oh yes, wait a minute, Mr. Postman. Yeah, man, I'm the mailman. Can't you tell, man? Gonna post it. That will never happen. Like, I really apologize. It, we haven't recorded in it's been weeks. I, we, we've been putting out Crime Con content. This is the first time we sat down and recorded in a, since we got back from Crime Con. So whenever Crime Con was, was that September, the last week of September? Yeah. We have not recorded since then. So I'm a little rusty. That will not happen again ever in the life of this podcast. I apologize for that. But what's going on, man? Yeah, man. I'm allergic to bullshit, man. Bullshit. 
Yeah, that we was, went I, on I, breaks. We went on breaks, and you talk. And you just forgot. Well, I was ready. I was excited to talk to my friend. I then I was I forgot to hit the button. My bad. That's wild, man. What's new, man? What's going on? Um, crime comp. We haven't really discussed it, but I no. think you know people. People heard the content. Did you have a good time at CrimeCon? I had a fantastic time. Had yes. a great time. Um, other than the sleeping arrangements and uh, what else? Uh, uh, we had like <laughs> there was a time where we had like the burps. Other than yeah, those two we ate days, some, some bur- <laughs> Well, you ate a burger and I ate a steak sandwich yeah. from the same place, yeah. and then we spent the rest of the day talking to people and <laughs> networking, and then we'd yeah. be burping silently, burping, and then blowing the breath. <laughs> Away from the people that are yeah. in our face, because yeah. it smelled like a butcher shop yeah, or something. It was it was, it was great <laughs> onion meat. It was it was insane. I would agree. The beds were very hard, but shout out to that Marriott for sure know, for, the, for sure for them. Well, yeah. we got we might have got into it. I can't remember oh, what I yes, left sir. in. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember what I left in and didn't didn't leave in. But you know, the initial walk into the place wasn't the best. Yeah. It wasn't the best uh, introduction, but. They improved over the weekend, I for guess. Sure, the sure. the meal we had after the last day of CrimeCon, divine. Yeah. Caesar salad. I oh, had it was a delicious. Sam- chicken sandwich. Yeah. It was the you know that was a great restaurant. So um, I had a great time at CrimeCon. I'm glad that you had a great time at CrimeCon. Yeah. This episode is a little bit differently. We have a special guest for the first time ever, I believe. I think we uh, have never had a guest before. I don't know. I have to check the records. People will let us know in the comments and in social media and everything like that. But uh, we have a very special guest. I'm very excited to uh, get to have a conversation with them. We met them at CrimeCon, which we will get into. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to introduce you to our guest this week. So stick around. All right, folks. And we are back. Uh, This week, we're doing something a little bit different. We... Friend, I don't correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think we've ever had a guest on before. Have we done that before? No. Yeah, I don't think haven't. that's not something we do. I don't think we've ever had a guest on. We've done some crossover type situations, um, but this is a first. Very yeah. excited. Uh, we met this person at CrimeCon. They were our booth neighbor. We had an incredible talk there at CrimeCon, both on mic, off mic. She's a hoot. She is a, a right fighter and a person that we wanted to get on the podcast and have a conversation with. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Madison McGee from Ice Cold Case. Hi. First of all, I had no idea you've never had a guest on before. <laughs> no, not a one time ever in life, ever. We've never I'm had a guest honored. on, not once. Oh, my God. Yeah, we okay. don't really like people, Madison. No pressure <laughs> or anything. Jeez. It's not, it's not pressure at all. You should feel no pressure because <laughs> you already are in... But just yep. by the fact that we extended the, invoca- the invitation, you know, that, like that should let you know we've never done it. Had such a good talk at CrimeCon. You're invited on as our first guest in 270 <laughs> episodes, something. I don't know right. how many episodes, yeah. but like, so that's how long. <laughs> and we've been to many Crime Cons. Yeah. Never met a person that we were like, let's have him come on as a guest. I love that. Well, thank you. This is so exciting for me because you guys are the best. So I'm really honored to be here. The feelings mutual, Madison. We were talking before we started about CrimeCon. It was your inaugural kind of not just CrimeCon, but your your kind of like entrance into the wild space of true crime entertainment. And um, what you know, and now a couple weeks removed, they still haven't put the pictures up on the on the website yet. I wanted to see if they got some good candidates, but now a couple weeks removed, what are your thoughts on the space and seeing the convention aspect of true crime? 
I mean, what a weird genre true crime is for so many reasons. I mean, it's like people's trauma and like weird stories and survival stories and death and all this weird stuff. And we're also fascinated by it. And then we all come hang out together. It's so it's funny when you kind of like lay it out on paper. Right. But when you're in it, it's so different. And meeting people who have sort of this interest, fascination with these stories that, you know, maybe you felt weird because you were also fascinated by them. And then you're meeting people who have this similar interest, but then also meeting people who are directly impacted by these stories, I think adds this really interesting layer to it that these aren't just like characters. I think like I always yes. look at, I'm, I'm a producer, so I always watch these docs or I used to watch these docs and go like, oh, like, this character development is so interesting the way that they started this person's story and the way that it ended. And then, you know, I met survivors of Ted Bundy, the golden state killer. And it's like, these aren't characters in a story. These are real people. And so in the ways that when you hear crime con, it can sound a little weird or cringy when you're there. It definitely feels different. And the tone is like, much more humanizing, I think, than when you're yeah. just hearing about it or thinking about it. And so I think it's something that if you are interested in the genre, it's it's really worth experiencing because I really wasn't sure <laughs> what to expect. <laughs> um, but it was, I mean, I mean, meeting you all, there's so many people that you meet there and it's yeah. like, oh, this is not what you think it's going to be. It's way better and it's way different. Yeah, I tell people the, the best, the best, uh, um, example I can give of what CrimeCon is like is I think it was the first CrimeCon we went to, maybe from, maybe you might remember it, but it was in Austin and we met a woman. She was super nice. Her podcast was really good. And she comes up to us and we interviewed her at her booth because we do interviews from the booth. And she goes, um, you guys should come to my seminar. I'm going to be singing a song. Oh, and we were like, we were, <laughs> we were like, what? She's like, yeah, I do the music for my podcast. And so I'm going to sing a song before I do a seminar on like blood splatter analysis. I was like, yeah. you know, so she comes out, she does a guitar thing, a little Carrie Underwood type of deal for a little bit. It was cute. Um, I thought it was great. And then she gave a great seminar. So yeah. you'll go from this kind of like, what the fuck is that happening? To being compelled and captivated by people who really know what they're talking about in the space and crying uh, you know, you we, at our at the booth. I'm sure you can speak to this for sure. Is that we will go from meeting somebody who is like, my neighbor died last week, and and catches us off guard, and we have yeah. a laugh, and then meet a, a a survivor of sexual assault, and have like a, and they're like, we listen to your podcast. It gets me through uh, chemotherapy. Se- like you just, it, it's such yeah. a, a a roller coaster of emotions. And and like you said, when you put it down on paper, you're like, they sing, and people sell T-shirts, and it's like you got to be there to really if it does give you that ick from hearing about it, you got to go to really understand what it's like. Yeah, because I mean, like, like I said before, when, you know, going, I was like, maybe I need to like surround myself with because I used to listen to a lot of True Crime before we started the podcast. And then like once we did our show, I kind of backed off because it was like it com- it, become, it becomes too much. So then I, on the way to the first Crime Con, I'm like, I need to do some my research. So when we get around these people, I can kind of know what I'm talking about. And then when we get there, it was nothing like that. And then speaking on what the album was saying, people were singing. I'm like, what is happening here? This is not like 
how I thought it was going to be. So it was gonna be like a like a nerd. Yeah, I just like exactly. Like, I thought yeah, it was just gonna yeah. be true crime. Oh, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna like this. Yeah, because I don't want to be talking about true crime all day long. I mean, like it was just I was like, this is gonna be too much. But then I was like, everybody's super cool. And then some of the people that you meet that have a podcast didn't even bring up true crime at, at all. all. We talked we about met Tara, I met basketball Tara or something like that. I met, yeah, I met Tara Newell. She like killed her stepfather. And we only, I talked to her about like getting drinks, you yeah. know? So even, even in the space where people have, you know, endured real trauma, they're kind of letting loose a little bit right. and they'll right. even make little jokes about, you know, like it just, it just is, you gotta go to, you gotta go to get you gotta it. Go. So I'm glad, exactly. I'm glad you got your first one under the belt. <laughs> it's the first of many. Um, uh, and you know, you know, enough of us, you know, talking about crime con, they didn't cut me a check to promote, uh, crime con Nashville, That's but, true. um, we wanted to have you on because Madison, you are a couch detective. You know, like I mean, that's that's what you are. You found out about something. Uh, you know, your father was was killed, and you wanted to solve it, and so you took it upon yourself to get involved. And that is kind of the spirit of a lot of people who listen to true crime. So we kind of wanted to pick your brain about what is that process been like? Where did it start? And like, what is step one of being a, a, a person who is going to DIY their father's case. Yeah. Um, it's not at all, I think, what you would expect it to be. Um, I had, very similar to you, listened to every true crime podcast, seen all the docs, watched all the shows, was super interested in the genre in and of itself, and really fascinated by these stories. And that's sort of what was the catalyst for me jumping into investigating my dad's murder. And so I sort of had this idea in my head of, oh, you just call up the police department and they (laughs) give you all the information and then you get to investigate it on your own. And the end they bring you the box they bring you that they bring you that brown box and they just put it on your on your porch and then you get to work and that's it and so easy and that is not at all my experience um which could be for a number of reasons but it it took a long time to even just get access to the files um i didn't technically file a freedom of information act also because this case was in it was like a state case, so mm-hmm. it wasn't federal. And Freedom of Information Act is federal. Every state sort of has their version of Freedom of Information Act. In Ohio, it's called something else, like public records or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is West. This was West Virginia based. This is Ohio. So the case, okay, and okay. that's that's the other interesting nuance of this case is that it happened right on the border of West Virginia and Ohio. Mm-hmm. Now. Because of that, and this happens a lot with like missing people. Um, this happened in the Gabby Petito case. When people are confused about what jurisdiction takes over a case, it kind of gets brushed under the rug because no one then wants to deal with it. And so, yeah. like in Gabby Petito's case, it was like, well, she's from Florida, but she went missing in Utah. So, do you file in Florida? Do you file in Utah? What police department takes over that case? And so, this kind of happens in this area a lot where it's like you're right across the border in Ohio so it's technically Belmont County but does Wheeling take over because they're right across well technically no so then does Belmont County take responsibility it's like gets really complex and annoying Mm, yeah 
Um, and then you're dealing with now I'm calling to get files from different departments and it, it was a hassle. Um, so I called the Belmont County Sheriff's Department first because that was sort of the jurisdiction that this would fall under. And they said that they needed approval from the prosecutor's office to give me the police files. So technically, they were sort of filing my public records request for me by calling them and asking if they could get them. However, they never did that. So they said it would take a couple weeks. I didn't hear back for months. And then I ended up just calling the prosecutor's office to get a copy of these records. And they had no idea that I was looking for them. So that was really interesting and sort of this red flag in the beginning of like no one's paying attention to my request. No one's filing for me. No one's actually trying to get me these records. And is there like a is there like a fast pass like this is my father? Does that mean does that mean nothing? It was actually really that's a great question. In the beginning, I I struggled to understand which route to go down. Do I call and say I'm a journalist? Or do I call and say I'm the daughter and which route will get me these files faster? Because mm. at the time, this was like George Floyd era police civilian relationships. Tense. So things were very tense. And to call about a McGee, which in this town was a known last name, yeah. and to call the sheriff's department that was primarily or all white about my dad's murder that was already sort of suspicious. I could tell that there was tension there from the beginning. Yeah. And so I think that's part of the reason why it took so long. Um, sure. And I don't know if there was a way to like fast track that, but I felt like if I called and said I was a journalist, that might actually help me. Than if I'm calling and saying, oh, I'm his daughter and I think this is suspicious and I want to see what really happened because they may have taken that as, oh, she's coming for us and she's coming to say yeah. that we did X, Y and Z. And so I went that route in the beginning. Um, obviously, my last name gave it away that this was my yeah, dad. You're like, I'm I'm a journalist named Madison McGee. <laughs> No, really, no, really, <laughs> no relation. So that, you know, after a while and, and then I think the prosecutor's office was like, oh, we're giving you this because you're the daughter. So I, I don't really know what the situation was, but I ended up getting the police files after like nine months. And once I started digging through, I had a lot of questions. So I started asking people for information. I went to visit. I went to ask people in person. I was always recording with my phone. Um, luckily Ohio is a one party state, so I was legally allowed to record all of my conversations, but, um, now are these things that you learned along the way or did you, are you abreast to, uh, legal, uh, you know, loopholes and those kind of things, or was that something you found out along the way? I learned everything along the way. I would call <laughs> friends and ask questions, um, who I had known done similar things to this, um, for example, I have a friend who works at Tenderfoot and um, I would call her and just ask like, oh, where do I start? What do I do? Like those types of things. And so she was helpful. Um, I would Google a lot. So I knew because of Taylor Swift and Kanye West about the two party, one party consent. Sure. Phone call. So yeah. I um, 
made sure to Google that. And you can Google like Ohio one party consent state and it'll tell you what it is. Um, and so I, I knew a little bit about that stuff. I didn't know a lot about sort of the legality of making a podcast, which I'm learning a lot about now, which is very complex. Um, and getting things legally cleared and all of those types of things. But in the beginning, it really was like, I'm just going to record stuff and hope that (laughs) I don't get in trouble. And if I can't use it, then I just won't use it and whatever, but I'd rather have it than not have it. And, um, all of those things. But yeah, it was a lot of just like, just start, just try, figure it out as you go. Google things, call friends. Um, yeah, I, I didn't really know what I was doing to be honest. So now when you say, you know, when you got to do all this research to kind of figure out what you can do and what you cannot do. And for people that's on a journey similar to yours, other than it being your father and you trying to get some closures and answers, what drives you by this taking months for you to get this information? What keeps you going? Because for me, I know, like, I can't speak on being in the same situation, but like if I'm getting stuck on something, I'm like, I don't even know if I want to keep going so what keeps you what keep you going other than those it being your father and you want closure yeah I think in the beginning it really was a slow burn and I think that helped because I didn't get burnout really fast so this did take a long time so it took me a long time to get the police files it took me a long time to read through them it took me a long time to do all of this stuff and I think that helped because this almost was like a hobby in the beginning So I was working, I was doing other things. I was, you know, cause there were lots of gaps in between and I would hit these stints and maybe it's a little like ADHD where I'd be like obsessed with this for like three weeks and I'd read through stuff or I'd call people every day. And then I wouldn't think about it for like months. And I think in the beginning that was actually really helpful because I'd get a lot done and then I'd sit on it for like months And then I'd kind of mull it over and think about it or sleep on it or whatever. And then it'd be like, oh, I'd wake up with some inspiration or someone would call me with info and I'd kind of jump right back in. And then when I started actually piecing together the podcast about like nine months ago, I was in it like all the time. And I could feel myself really in the last couple of weeks feeling like exhausted because I hadn't Mm. ever really done that before. I had done like little stints, like sprints almost in this greater marathon. And so I think that helped keep me going. Um, and I think that's super important to like take breaks, mental breaks. Um, especially if it's family, um, it's hard regardless. Like I can't imagine like other people who are heavily investigating one specific case all the time. Um, but when it's family, it's so important to like mentally Mm. snap out of it for a second. I, yeah. I am very hyper fixated on this now to like a very weird extent where like every conversation I have with literally anyone somehow reverts back to my dad's murder in yeah. some way, even if it has nothing to do with it. And yeah. um, well, you're fully in it now, you yeah. know, like, I mean, it's because a lot of people, a lot of people would drop every like life, like, you know, job or whatever. And they go like, I'm going to focus on this 100 percent. I go like, I get it. And that seems just that just seems like it's overwhelming. That's a lot. It'll too. consume you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you have to like really take breaks. And I think it's good and bad. Obviously, it's annoying that they took so long to get me everything. But it honestly set the pace for this. And it set the That's tone different. from yeah. the beginning of like, oh, it's okay if like 
you find out this information and you don't do anything for a little bit. Like it's been 20 years. So like what's another six months, especially if you're doing it the right way and you're making sure that like I'm taking care of mentally, but also I'm playing a bit of a dance with some of the people I'm talking to witnesses, people who are talking to me. So I can't really be super aggressive all at once. I have to really do this dance of getting to know them and figuring out what they're comfortable with, what they're not comfortable with, um, and building that rapport with them and building trust. So they're not telling me something and they're like, well, I don't want you to go off and tell someone. So I have to like really hold that information in. And so it is a bit of a dance, but, um, it's been tough. Um, but I think it could have been a lot worse if I had really like just jumped in all the way and not given myself that space. But I think that really helps keep me going. Yeah, I was going to that that was you led me perfectly into my, like my next question or like my next topic. So you get the uh the the files and the you know the transcripts from the phone calls and all these things and now you start knowing the characters and the people at play and everything. And um I listened to your podcast and uh, I learned that you know you were raised by your mom and then your dad has all this family and so you didn't really know them. And now you have to come and, like you say, navigate being like, hey, you're my family member, but I'm doing something. So nice to meet you. That's great. Hi, that part. But I, also I'm here to, like, solve – I'm bringing, I'm bringing po- police presence into your life in some kind of way. And um, your dad is black. We're black. So we understand – I have all kind of cousins that are like, listen, man, don't, don't – I nothing. don't know anything. Nope. I don't know anything. I don't want to <laughs> be involved. I didn't see anything, even if I did. And so while there's so there's this kind of this duality of like you have this beautiful uh, I well, you can speak to it if, that, if it was beautiful or not. But you have this purpose. So you can say, hey, I'm, I'm your long lost cousin or niece or granddaughter, but also I'm here uh, to solve a crime. And so what was that hurdle like? What's it been like? I know that you had some, you know, voices blacked out and some things you couldn't do. So what has that process been like of meeting family, but also having this purpose that might be um, adversary to their life? Yeah, it's um, been really, really weird. Um, yeah. Any good meals? I mean, like, is there any, because I don't, <laughs> my, based on some of the conversations we've had, I don't know how much you've enjoyed the reunion part of it, but it, like, get it please yeah um it's such a good question um I don't know what I was expecting when when jumping into this and meeting my family a lot of them for the first time or for the first time since I was like six years old um but I had a feeling it wasn't going to be the family reunion that I you know watched on a Medea movie for sure so (laughs) sure yeah um I was a little cautious going into it just because there's not only like a generational gap as far as understanding what I'm doing and why I'm doing it, but also this area of the world, the United States, Appalachia, is very different as far as mindset, the way people are raised, the access they have to certain things. So hearing that I'm making a podcast that I'm investigating my dad's murder in this area, particularly, especially in this black community within this area 
can get really nuanced and get really complicated. And a lot of misunderstanding can happen. And it's easy for them to look at this and go, oh, she's trying to make money off of this story, this thing, whatever. We know. I- that's the that's the first that that's been your experience. That's been the first thought that people have had. Yeah. So one wow. of the biggest comments I'm getting right now from particularly family members on like mostly Facebook, because, again, they don't have any other type of social media, which really speaks to like the generational gap. Oh, here. Facebook yeah. family is <laughs> such a specific subgenre of family. Yeah. And so I get what you mean. Yeah. They're like all the worst the people that come into the, the house at, at Thanksgiving are like, oh, that person's here. Yep. They're going to start their their speech on their soapbox. And a lot of the comments I'm getting are like, Madison's making so much money off this podcast. Madison's the only one profiting off of this, et cetera, wow. et cetera. Um, funny that I've made negative dollars <laughs> doing this podcast. Um, but also, like, the whole point of this is obviously to solve my dad's murder, so like, while the money doesn't really matter, you know, I'm going to run out of money to spend on it. The ins- so and the, but the like- insinuation is the insinuation is even more disrespectful when you're like, motherfucker, I'm paying out right. of pocket to, to fund this whole thing. Like- to do this while you're assuming I'm making money, but also not helping me do any of this. And so right. it was like this very kind of weird I don't know. The comments were weird in and of itself, but it's also like, this is the first thing that you're thinking of. Like, that's so strange. Um, And so that was like really bizarre, but then also like people were really excited in the beginning. I was reaching out to family members I hadn't ever met before. And a lot of them were kind of like, yeah, we'll talk. We're super excited that you're doing this. You know, it's about time etc etc and then that tone really shifted i think once it started to come out and people were like Mm. oh people are listening there's a platform like all of this stuff the tone really shifted and i don't they thought it was like an audio like like a personal like you know i'm just doing this for me yes and then it's like oh wait this is for people to hear show probably where it's like you know people are like oh your little podcast yeah, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. We got a lot of that. Yeah, they're like, yeah, I, yeah when your that. friends start a business, right? And they're like, oh, your little side thing, your little mm, Etsy thing. Yeah. Mm. And you're yeah. like, oh, like that's annoying. Like right. this, this is real. This is like something that yeah. I'm really trying to do. And and I think a lot of people thought of it like that. And then it wasn't until, you know, there were billboards and magazine articles and all of these things yeah. that people like, were like, wait a minute, you're like a, you're like a snitch. This is a real thing. Um, I also think a lot of people didn't like how they were portrayed in the show, um, which is fine to not be happy with. Um, but my argument is, and was, and always will be, I sort of jumped into this late in the game. I didn't know that my dad was murdered until I was 16 and I didn't grow up in this area. So I'm now interviewing all of you and getting information from you that you've had this whole time. So it's not my fault that I'm saying you were not disclosing information because you weren't disclosing information. Exactly. And so I think a lot of people weren't really happy with that. I think obviously the the black dynamic, they were afraid to out 
someone, especially if they know them, they don't really want to deal with the police. They don't want to testify in court because they don't trust the system. There's a lot of things happening here that I understand and empathize with. However, it's very hard because I am biased and that's part of the show is that I'm telling my own story and this is my dad. So as much as I respect your distaste for the system and I too am not a fan, I don't really care because this is my dad. And like this, my dad was murdered and not just murdered. Like I believe it was like a planned attack to specifically kill my dad I don't really care that you don't want to go to court and testify against someone that doesn't bother me. I don't really give a fuck. So say something or I'll out you for knowing something. And like Mm -hmm. that sort of, and I don't think people like that very much. Yeah. But it goes to what you said earlier, which is like, you know, this isn't a, this isn't like a, a Wes Anderson movie or something like this, these, you're not a character like that. This, these people aren't characters. Anything that you say is your character. It's not a, it's not a character that's being directed or created. Like you said what you said or didn't say what you said. And that's who you are as a person. So you can't really be mad. I don't like that argument of people when we're in the real world and like you framed me weird. It's like, well, no, you said, you said that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, slander and libel are words that I've been hearing over and over again. Um, thank God I have a good lawyer, but yeah, like I've been hearing like, Oh, I'm suing you for defamation. I'm suing you for this, that, and the other. And like the biggest thing is like, well, you'd have to prove that what I said wasn't true. Yes. And I, yeah. And that, that, that's where it gets tricky. (laughs) Obviously, you know, we've all seen Jersey shore and these shows and my buddy did an American Idol a few years ago. And so being, I went to his audition and seeing them go, all right, so you're going to go sit next to that girl and then say like, where are you from? And then we're going to, they're going to, we're going to like ship you guys. <laughs> and then you go, wait, that wasn't, they don't really have a crush on each other. So you get disillusioned by things. Things can be painted away in reality television. But for the most part, if you're sitting down and talking to somebody, it's really hard to frame somebody's words as anything other than what they are. Now you can chop it up and you can leave some things out. And maybe you miss some contextual things, but like, in an interview of a conversation, especially when I'm imagining you going to sit in somebody's living room and put a microphone down and you know, there's no way to like make what they said, not what they said, you know? So I don't really, I, I hate that argument and I, and I get that that's going to be something you come across, but you know, Hey, fucking prove it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but my, my, another question I wanted to ask about, uh, West Virginia, when did you, you moved, you and your mom moved to Ohio? Yes. So yeah, that's where things got a little sticky. So I was born technically in Wheeling, West Virginia, which is just across the border from Ohio. And then when I was a baby, I moved with my mom to Charleston, West Virginia, and that's where I was raised. So my dad lived in Ohio, but I lived in West Virginia. And then when my dad died, I grew up in West Virginia, like kind of just raised all the way through high school in Charleston, West Virginia. So that's where I like grew up. So what, so, cause I don't, you know, I only know, uh, the only experience I have in West Virginia is the wonderful whites of West Virginia is one of the best documentaries ever. Um, and so what the dynamic of being biracial and you, the, you know, like when you come back and you know, your, your family's not in Charleston, right? Cause um, Charleston's like a city. I know Charleston's like, a, it's not like, 
a rural it's it's like charleston's more city right yeah it's like fifty two thousand people it's the capital of west virginia um my mom still lives there and my grandmother still lives there um so i do visit every so often i've got some friends from high school who still live there too um yeah it's um i mean it's pretty rural all things considered i mean you, people from la would probably say it's very rural but it's like city for us um sure yeah, I mean, it was definitely weird. I think at the time and maybe even still today, West Virginia is like 4% black. So it's mm. it was very, very uh, white and very confusing because I am super light skinned, but like no one would confuse me for a white person. Like that's not like I wouldn't say I'm white passing in that way where someone sees me and they're like, oh, like this white girl, like that's never happened to me before. And so... That almost makes it worse because it's very, very confusing when you're in these spaces and you're trying to navigate, like, where do I belong? Where do I sit? Yeah. Who do I hang out with? So, like, that's kind of a weird place to navigate. And at the time, my mom was, like, chemically straightening my hair and, like, doing all this stuff. Not mm, really in yeah. a... I don't think it was, like, intentionally to, like, whitewash me. Yeah. But it's I just think what she, she knows how to do. Right. She didn't know how get to that. do anything else with my hair. So that made sure. it easier for her. And so that sort of put me in this weird bucket. But then it's like I'm with my white friends and it's like, well, if it rains, I can't go outside with my hair straight. So it was like all of these weird things. Right. And like I'm trying yeah. to navigate these spaces and figure like an out. It's like an elephant in the room. Yeah. My own identity. And. It was hard mm. because I couldn't put like a word on it at the time because I'm a kid and I had never in media. There were no mixed girls and there there wasn't anything for me to really identify with. And so I had a lot of like mental turmoil just solely dealing with that. Like that in and of itself. I can't imagine if you come from like a really nice, normal family that's like middle to higher class and dealing with yeah. that's got to be a mental fuck but to add in that i'm like being raised by my grandmother my dad is dead my mom is a drug addict and i'm dealing with all this and i'm in west virginia where like it's already kind of a weird at the time we were going through like the coal mine industry was dying so a lot of my friends were sort of having their fall from grace from like going to like from like a high income household to like poverty levels and like all of this weird stuff is going on i'm trying to find my place in the world i'm dealing with trauma that I don't even know I have yet because I didn't know that my dad was murdered. So it's like all this stuff is happening and I'm trying to deal with this. It was hard. I was yeah. like a basket case for like most of middle school and high school. Um, and looking back, I'm like, I don't even know how I had like a single friend because I was so like mentally insane. Mm -hmm. um, just trying to piece together all of this stuff and trying to find my own identity. And I, yeah, I, I still struggle, I think, a little bit with this, but less so now. But all the way through college, I really was like, I don't know who I am, how I identify. Um, a lot of that actually came up during the like Black Lives Matter movement because there was a lot of um, talk about colorism. And yeah. that is a very important conversation, but can also be super divisive in the black community because then... It almost feels like we're fighting with each other and yeah, it gets, yeah, it's, not it's, it's really sad, yeah, looking at saying. like 
the actual issue, which is that white people will always be white people. And yeah. regardless of where we fall on the black spectrum, we're all black to people. Exactly. Like it doesn't matter. And so those conversations came up and I think they were really important um, because I was in like a group chat with a lot of other mixed people and they were sharing their struggles with this of not really fitting into a certain bucket. And that made me feel really normal because I didn't know anybody like that growing up. Every friend yeah. I knew in high school was either white or black. That was it. I don't, I'm even yeah. trying to think if I knew a single mixed person in high school and I'm sure the one person I know is going to be like, you don't remember me, but I like not remember. <laughs> um, but we both stayed inside when it was raining outside. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, like both yeah. really like difficult to, to navigate. And I think that plays into this story a lot because if I had known my dad and grown up more with my dad, I think I would have embraced that side of me a lot more yeah, and understood that part of me a lot more. And that's something mm -hmm. that I've tried to sort of reconcile the older I get and the more control I have over that. But it was very difficult, you know, kind of having these realizations that I wasn't white, but also not knowing what to do with that and how to navigate that yeah. and how to learn more about that side of me. Um, because I was, 14 and you're like how do you right do i throw yeah. on a biggie song like what am i supposed to yeah. do to learn how about do i how do i this? how do i flow into this yeah yeah and so that 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 perfectly that that's what i wanted to kind of get the foundation on to ask as far as when now you're going back and i don't know if it was in the back of your head or if it was in your head at all but like you're going to meet these family members like the, this is the the black side of your family and like was it you know, was there something, obviously, like the Medea movie reference you made is like funny, but obviously, and then you're saying it didn't go that way. But like, were you hopeful that it might be like a Medea movie? Like they teach you how to, a family recipe or, you know, were, were you looking for some kind of closure or enlightenment about the other half of you and didn't get it? Like, cause I, I just want people to, I just want people to understand, like, especially if, you know, if I ever was to do something like this, not, you know, obviously your story's so grand, but like, when you start opening doors and you know going down down streets you now you start learning new things that you need to resolve you know so like what was it like for you know when you lay out your life as a, a mixed mixed kid and, and then a mixed adult and now you're going to go meet your the other half of your family but for a, a real specific reason but like was there an element of wanting that like wanting to get like a hug from big mama or any you know any you know any of that kind of stuff um i that's tough. Um, I think I've reconciled within myself that that's just not my experience in this lifetime. That um, yeah. these are my family members by blood, but they're acquaintances at best. Um, mm. I don't know them. They weren't around, yeah. not mm. their fault, but they weren't around when I was growing up and we don't have that relationship. And um, I also was a bit skewed in my perspective because I went in already having read the police files and already sort of gathering a little bit of info. And I had sort of reconciled in my head that a lot of my family members maybe knew at the very least a little bit more than what they were letting on. And that yeah. already had my guard up because I don't trust them now for that reason. Um, and I think that that 
maybe impacted it colored it colored your it colored your thoughts on like yeah because yeah, you're not going in you're already going into it guarded because you you're suspicious of the people yeah, yeah. so but i get so yeah. so but but the hesitancy of them you know wanting to talk to you and then you meeting these new people that's on the other side of your family was i'm guessing nobody wanted to reach out and was like you know i want answers to i want to help i guess they was just like i don't even want no part of that at all yeah, everyone that I spoke to, I directly reached out to and had to do a little bit of convincing to talk to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's hard too because as much as I'd love to have a relationship with them and just like go and hang out, until I solve my dad's murder, there's no way I could even have a conversation with these people and not bring it up. And I so yeah. I think that that also, they could maybe see that as like, well, she's using us for information or whatever but it's like it's just hard for me to even talk to these people who were around at the time and like my one uncle lived like a couple doors down like it's like yeah. i can't talk you could to be talking you. to somebody who has the key right to yeah. what you need and they're just smiling in your face stranger yeah. without bringing it up how am i supposed to talk to someone who like <laughs> was there kind right. of and not bring it up and so um i think that that kind of has skewed our relationship as well because it's just hard for me to I, like Sure, I, I want to know how your day was and what your kids are up to, but I really want to know what exactly were you doing that day? What exactly do you remember? And like, I'll just keep cycling through that. And so, yeah, it's it's hard. Um, and I do feel a bit more like a journalist in that way where my relationship with them feels very transactional um, yeah. versus like familial. Um, but again, I think that goes back to like, they just don't, feel that much like family because I don't really know them. And even, Mm -hmm. you know, my uncle looks exactly like my dad, which is funny. Um, But even then it's like, I just want to know what happened. And I just want to solve this so badly that um, I'm willing to sort of put this relationship to the side to get the answers that I need to continue moving forward. I fully get that. Uh, My dad has like, six kids, five different moms. And so I have all these adult siblings now that I'm kind of like, I feel bad that we're not close, but like I grew up an only child. My mom had one kid. I'm in the house by myself. Like, so I understand that feeling of we are blood and you kind of look like me, but I don't really know you. And I don't think I owe anybody that. And that took a long time for me to like, except for myself because i had all these bad feelings of being like an older brother to somebody who's yeah. a stranger yeah. like i'm your older brother yeah. like in the, in a tv show but like i don't i don't know you i don't feel like i owe you guidance that or some kind of role that i don't know on. i have felt this weird sort of contradiction of what obligations do i have to people who are my family and a, a lot of my family the only people mad about my podcast at the moment besides these weird people who are now commenting on my podcast saying that I'm racist, um, are my family members. And they're very upset about this show. And my argument is I don't owe them anything. I don't, like, even if I had known them my whole life, I don't owe anyone anything. Like, I only owe myself any obligation to my own moral convictions. And if I'm staying true to that, then I owe no one else on this earth anything besides my cat food and water (laughs) and it just doesn't make sense that we get in our heads about 
oh, well, you have to have a relationship with someone because they're your family member or you owe your parent X, Y and Z because they gave you life. And like all of these weird things that were fed our entire lives. If your parent sucks and is super toxic and a narcissist, you do not have to have a relationship with them. And it's very weird that we pretend like you do like if that was a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a toxic relationship or an abusive relationship, you would tell your friend to get out of that relationship. But yep. because it's a relative, you're like, you should really work that out. That's weird. That's gross. Stop doing that. Like, I don't like that at all. And I feel that way now with my podcast. Like there's a lot of family members who have been reaching out with like the worst things to say to me ever. And I don't reply, but if I did, I would say, I owe you nothing. Like, I owe you literally not one thing ever. If I end up making a bajillion dollars on my podcast, I don't owe you anything. If I solve this case, I don't owe you a thank you. I don't owe you anything. Like, I don't owe you anything. It's just so weird yeah. that, like, we have this, like, oh, your family. Okay. And? And? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, as long as I'm staying true to my moral convictions and that's a line I'm learning and trying not to cross, um, I, I go to bed at night with a big fat smile on my face. Yes, that is that is like the overarching guidance for me and Fran as well, where, you know, I think that, you know, if, if I'm doing anything that feels yucky to me, then I know I'm my only my my only compass is the one internal, yep. you know, like I, I'm not I can't do stuff for other people. If you try to appease everybody while you're doing something that you feel compelled to do, you're going to do it the wrong way. Sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes you, you, you had good intentions and you, you did the wrong thing. But I think that's a conversation that I'm willing to have over. Oh, I think this is like this might be bad, but like I know people will like it. And that is where that you get to that line and you go, no, because then if you do that one time, then you're going to go down a pathway of being a really nasty person when you're in a space of people who are looking to absorb this information and these stories in a way that feels helpful and not exploitive. And I think that you, you know, you're nailing it and you don't owe anybody anything, you know, so I, I think that you crushed it. Thank you. I, will you bring up a really interesting point because, um, I, I do find it interesting and I hope this isn't offensive to anyone, but a lot of people love what I'm doing with my podcast, which is amazing. And then there are those few people that, you know, don't like it, mostly my family, but other people have now started to kind of come out of the woodwork. And I find it really interesting because even the comment about making money off this podcast, which I'm not yet, um, if I was, so what? There's other yeah. people, we met them at CrimeCon, making <laughs> six figures on their true crime podcast, telling other people's stories. And that's fine. Good for them. No, yeah, yeah. no trashing mm -hmm. that at all. But so why is it a problem when you... you why yeah. can't I do that with my own story? And yes. you're willing to support all these other people doing it when it's your entertainment pleasure. But when it's your relative doing it, to solve their own thing and maybe they make a couple dollars you now all of a sudden yeah. it's morally not sound and it's yeah. gross or it's whatever that is so weird to me um i don't know i it just bothers me that it's totally fine for like other companies to like profit off of these stories but now all of a sudden i enter the scene like madison mcgee has yeah. entered the chat 
and everyone has this like what this is it's weird and And i'm like no this is in my opinion and i hope that i'm setting the tone for future people to do this like this is how it should be like you should tell your own story if you have the resources and the capacity to do so and not everyone does Mm -hmm. and i respect that like what i'm doing is very emotionally taxing and not everyone should do this because it could drive you nuts and it does drive me nuts but if you are able to and you have a desire to do that, you should do that. And um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I think that there's nothing weird about it. In fact, the opposite. It's weird that other people are doing yeah, it. Yeah, if we're going to say what's weird, let's get real about it. And not opening the door know? for people to tell their own stories. Yeah. Yeah. And I and, and I fully agree. I think that we had that, we had that discussion at CrimeConf briefly where I feel like, you know, the space needs people like you telling their story. And I think that you're also going to be a beacon for people. I think that even if you morph and, and, and change paths in the future, you telling somebody's story and understanding the moral obligations and the lines and, you know, uh, what is exploitive of a person. Um, i talk, I spoke to, I spoke to a friend of mine, Sarah Turney. Uh, she was trying to solve her sister's uh, disappearance you know, very popular TikToker. She's, you know, she's, she's grown in the space and she, she has a name for herself. But she said early on when people were doing documentaries, Hulu and these, these platforms and asking her to be a part of it and she would have any input about, well, I don't really want to talk about this or that. They would almost hit her with, the, with the, uh, making the band uh, Puff Daddy. Like, look, you can either make the documentary or you can not make the documentary. Yeah. You know, like, it, you know in, in the nicest way possible or whatever kind of legal way where they're like, well, this is the, sto- this is the narrative that we're painting. And although this is your family member, we are paying for it and we're telling the story. So you can say this or you can fuck fuck off. You can fuck (laughs) off, you know. And so I think that that's gross. And um, that it goes to, you know, the more obligations we talk about. You know, me and Fran don't have any personal connection to the stories that we tell other than we try to tell stories about marginalized communities and we've lived in these communities and we know people like this and so we feel a connection in that regard but I would never presume to tell somebody that I was talking to and I'm telling the story of your uh, brother being murdered and I go I don't really we shouldn't do it that way that's not going to grab people I'm going to say that it happened on a holiday and that's just more captivating like I don't have license to reframe a real person's tragedy and so i think that you understanding that is you know what the revolution of the space is a people that understand what's wrong and what's right because they lived it and experienced it yeah it's um yeah it's so interesting and such a, a weird again a weird space a weird genre um because i i i went from fan to subject relatively quickly um, growing up, sort of watching these shows and and enjoying these shows, to then sort of being in the middle of one, it, I sort of understand both sides, and so, yeah, it's been sort of a whirlwind of just navigating that, um, and trying to make a compelling show that will get people to listen and get people to care about my dad's story, but also staying really true to myself, the facts, what I think happened. Um, and how this story should be told. It's been a weird line that I'm trying not to cross. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm now sort of having these conversations about what to do next with this story and how to get it in front of a wider audience. And 
staying true to myself and my convictions has been the forefront of these conversations. And it's tough when you meet people who are making a lot of money in this space. And it's so easy to veer off of the path very quickly. Um, but for me, obviously it's not about that because I just want to solve this case so badly. Um, but yeah, it, it does have me thinking about sort of, cause I already know I'm going to solve it. What's next? What am I going to do now with what I've built and what this is and how can I use that to help other people? And now that's keeping me up at night, but, um, yeah, we'll see. We will see. And I know you're going to solve it yeah. too. Uh, before, because we appreciate your time, we don't want to hold you up. But before we let you go, I have two things. I'm going to throw it to you. Try to remember them. One, I know that you uh, work for a food uh, station. I don't know if I don't want to say, I'm going to put it out there. But um, I want to ask if you've met him. I feel like him is, everybody knows who him is uh, when we talk about that space. <laughs> Because I just am fascinated with him, and I'm, ho- I'm hoping you know who I mean. And two, I would love to know what is what was the first big hurdle or awkward moment in your journey of interviewing people, calling police, interviewing family. Is there one that stands out where you go, "Listen, these are the kind of moments that you're going to come across if you try to, you know, DIY a, a case yourself. The, you got to have you got to have the fortitude to be able to st- sit in an awkward situation." Oh gosh, I've had a lot of those. Um, I'll start with that and then I'll go into food. Um, there's been a lot, a, a lot of moments where even just recently I emailed the prosecutor's office to file a, a FOIA and um, they never emailed me back. <laughs> Um, now I know that they're very aware of my podcast and everything going on. And Mm. I think that has something to do with it, but now I'm really nervous to talk to them. Um, Mm. because now they know sort of what I think. And before it was sort of, I was calling, I hadn't made anything yet or put anything out and they didn't really know where my head was at. And now Mm. they know. Um, but yeah, there's just been a lot of uncomfortable conversations around just like, I mean, when talking to the police, trying to ask them questions about their own botched investigation is very awkward because I'm in, I was in person when I interviewed them. And so that was really weird trying not to sort of outright say that I think the investigation was botched, but also asking questions about like, Oh, what about this? Did you guys look into this? And like already knowing the answer is no. And like trying to navigate that. And you could kind of tell, I mean, these are detectives, whether they're good detectives or not, they could tell what I was doing. And so that was a little weird. Um, and then also I had one conversation with the prosecutor's office where I basically just asked like, what's the protocol if the police didn't do their own due diligence? Am I able to sue the Belmont County Sheriff's Department? Like, what does that look like? And they were pretty stunned by that question and sort of diverted the conversation very quickly. But that was really uncomfortable because I was just genuinely curious. Like, there is no checks and balances for police. And so I was just curious, like, not that at the time I thought that was happening in my case, but just in general, what happens? Is there a system in place for that? And they couldn't answer that question. And now I'm thinking that that may have been what happened. But just yeah. like really having really uncomfortable conversations with people and almost like 
having to sort of play my cards and like I don't want people to know where I stand because I want to still get more information and I want them to still talk to me but sometimes you just kind of have to throw all your cards out on the table and that can get really uncomfortable and then you know then they know and um, they know where your head's at they know what you're thinking they know who you're leaning towards and then they're able to sort of play their hand differently because of it and things can get really annoying and um, uncomfortable so that's been really tough. Um, and now I'm at a point where now everyone sort of knows where I stand and I'm trying to get more information and I can't because they won't talk to me. And so that's a bit annoying. Um, I am a producer um, for Food Network. I work on a lot of food shows. I'm currently filming a show right now um, that's really fun. It's it's a wonderful show on the network with all the big heavy hitters, which is really fun. Um, I work with and have met Guy Fieri. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And yeah. It, it's always a pleasure and always so fun. He is such a big personality, obviously on TV, but also in real life. Um, he's he's like the same person. Yeah. Like I don't think that he has like modes at all i think he has one uh, that's what i wanted to and know. he <laughs> that makes that makes me so yeah. happy oh, like yeah he wakes up turns on the car and it's just going at one speed yeah. until he goes to sleep and um hey, madison that segment that segment was gangster yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he does the finger snap thing like he has a dip, a a dip cannon yeah. personality yeah. um him. and has him. like all of these like Besides the hair and the flames, like all these like like notable characteristics about him that make him who he is. And um, yeah, it's really fun working with him. And it's fun because he also has these moments of just like I think he realizes what he's built and who he has become and like appreciates it and appreciates yeah. everyone that works with him and works for him and. Um, makes all of it happen and I I think that that's something that you probably wouldn't expect just seeing him on TV and how big of a personality he is but I've noticed that he's very um, cognizant of what is happening and super appreciative of it and like loves his family and like all these things that maybe you wouldn't quite expect from someone as big and bold as he is but yeah, yeah. I, I've noticed, I've learned a lot just from my short time of working directly with him on set, but um, just from watching and hearing stories, like I've learned so much about how to keep your head on your shoulders and sort of build an empire. And I think yeah. that that's really cool. And I love, food shows are fun, especially given what my side hustle is. <laughs> um, it's really nice. <laughs> It, it in the beginning, it was a little bit like, oh, food, that seems like lame. Like, do I want to work on food shows? But it's actually been amazing because it's something that just like brings everyone together. And what I thought I was doing with my dad's story didn't seem super polarizing in the beginning, but has quickly become very polarizing. And food is that one thing that like regardless of political affiliation, where you live in America, what you do, like. Food is fun and everyone can appreciate yeah. it and everyone loves these shows and they're lighthearted and there's nothing more to it than like we're cooking food and we're funny or we're competing against each other and like whatever. And it's like really fun. And so that actually has lightened my load a lot on top of the paycheck, um, which keeps me afloat. But it's good. 
it has lightened the mental load a lot that I can go to work, watch people cook, and then go home and sort of dive into something a little bit darker and more mentally taxing. Um, It's been really good. And everyone there has been super supportive. Actually, fun fact, Guy's dad was born in the same town as I was in West Virginia. Wow. Um, So (laughs) random fun fact. (laughs) Small world. Yeah, that 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 was I always like to ask people in this space that question. So it really makes me happy that, you know, you have a somewhere to escape because it can get heavy. Yeah. And the way that when we, we do a heavy story, the way I'll put on nailed it and just watch somebody make a cake bad or, you know, just or any, you know, any or, or diners, drivers and dives or like anything like just somebody cooking some food and having a good time watching the joy on somebody's face when they eat delicious food is such a good escape from some of the horrors that you might read or the dark, the dark cloud that, you know, some of these true crime stories can put over you, you know, we're dealing with the, 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 all the, you know, intrinsic, like interwoven emotions of what you're doing. I'm glad that you have somewhere where you can go for a couple hours yeah. and just kind of laugh it off, smile and, 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 you know, and keep it light. Yeah. Um, yeah. Madison, before you go, I would love if you would plug your podcast. I'm sorry we took up so much of your time. Oh my God. Uh, no, I could off, literally but, yeah. do this like all the time. Um, this is, we're gonna, we're gonna have, we gotta have you back. Too. <laughs> you're, you're, this is so fun. Um, so fun. Yeah. So, um, ice cold case is available wherever you get your podcasts. Um, ice cold case on Instagram, TikTok, which has like one video. Um, <laughs> And I'm Madison McGee. It's a hard one. It's a hard one to keep up with. It's, it's, I just can't with the TikTok, you young kids. I just, <laughs> ugh. I'm one year too late, I think, to understand. But um, yeah, Ice Cold Case is available everywhere. Um, part one is out all the way. Episodes one through nine. I am currently working on part two which is a lot more of like the deep dive into like the investigative side, um, really diving into my theory of what I think happened and um, the suspects that I think were involved and really diving into that side of things. It's going to get really crazy. Um, and that will come out early 2024. Um, awesome. And yeah, I I love you guys. I love this podcast. I'm <laughs> honored to be your first guest ever, which is yes. crazy. <laughs> Um, blast and this was the best ever so great definitely we gotta do this again yeah when when the when the second part comes out we'd love to have you on uh pick your brain about theories your podcast is awesome ice cold case um this has been another episode of affirmative murder uh made much better by our friend and uh, incredible podcaster madison mcgee Uh, i'm alvin williams joined as always by my partner in true crime francel evans and we'll see you guys next week deuces